I'm Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds, the show that takes you over the horizon and beyond borders to bring you the global thinkers, innovators, and troublemakers whose ideas challenge the world as we know it. Soho in London today in the offices of Movie, uh, and I'm here with F.A. Chakarel, who's the founder of the company, and truth be told, F.A. and I met quite a few years ago. How many years ago was it, F.A.? Almost 10. Almost 10 years ago. <laughs> and, it, it, you know, F.A. and I have a very special relationship because uh, he actually saw me give my, well, my first speech, I think. It was at E-Tech in, uh, was it San Diego? Was it in San Diego? Yes. San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, E-Tech was an amazing conference, do you remember? It was... I remember that Jeff Bezos was there as a guest. Yeah, uh, there were lots of alpha nerds. It was the early days, and it was uh, it was a great conference. I, mean, I was incredibly nervous. Yeah, <laughs> me <laughs> but, too. Uh, but FM made me feel very uh, great because afterwards, yeah, I remember you came up to me and said yeah. that you were, you know, really inspired by uh, by all the stuff I was saying about what I'd seen in Asia and China and Japan. Yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, I, at the time, I was working for uh, SAP one of the biggest uh, software companies, and I was responsible of uh, our first pure web-based application for small and medium businesses. Right. Uh, because as you know, SAP is being installed uh, software, and we were going after, at the time, uh, Salesforce. Uh, very interesting time on the web, uh, and uh, I was spending a lot of time trying to understand um, you know, where innovation comes from. Uh, and yes, your talk about Asia you know, quite, quite was quite influential actually um, so I was I was spending a lot of time in Asia for me Asia still uh, is a very stimulating place um, uh, for three reasons it's an incredible social lab uh, uh, particularly on mobile one young population I mean what is the average age uh, in Asia ex Japan it's um, late 20s 27 28 here in Europe 35 you know, more than 40 in places like Germany and Spain, right? So that 10-year age difference makes a very big difference in the way you interact with the world around you. Uh, second, really fast broadband. I mean, average broadband speed in, in Tokyo is 63 megabit per second. Mm. In Seoul, it's like 49. Here in London, where I live, 7, <laughs> right? So that also makes a difference. And then there is also... Um, uh, 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 a bit of a healthy disrespect for copyright, right? So the, so the content is available. So you bring these three things together. It's an incredible place. Especially 10 years ago. And I think <clears throat> 10 years ago, I mean, smartphones were non-existent really uh, outside of Japan. Correct. And, and you really, I think, got a glimpse of a, of a totally different world of possibilities in terms of entertainment. Yes, mobile. Yes, uh, entertainment. mobile entertainment. Yeah. And, uh, I think people forget sometimes, they, they think that Steve Jobs invented the iPhone, but in many ways he took a lot of his ideas uh, from these markets. Yeah. I think Sony should have come up with the iPhone, I always, well, I'm always sure they did or they iPod, yeah. somewhere, but they didn't realize what they'd done. <laughs> yeah. um, so and, you, the, and, and the idea to me uh, of um, starting a, a service to show movies on, uh, online actually came in Tokyo. Really? So, so what's was, the story uh, behind how you thought up movies? Yeah, I was, you know, eight years ago. Uh, 2007 I was sitting in a cafe in Tokyo and I wanted to watch a movie a particular movie in the mood for love uh, by Wong Kar Wai and I I could not find a service that allowed me to watch it uh, here I was in the third largest film market in the world okay? 
Um, and, um, uh, and the consumer experience I started to observe was already shifting. At the time, uh, eight years ago, we were already watching long-form content TV series on YouTube. Right. right? Um, but in a place like Japan, where the broad, you know, broadband speed is incredibly high, people are really media savvy, uh, device savvy. There was not a single platform where I can watch a movie. Uh, and then I started looking at you know the opportunity. Uh, the home video market is 150 billion dollars, mm. almost entirely pay TV and DVD, which was going to significantly shift to TCP/IP protocol to to all these devices and internet. So I started writing a business plan on the flight back from uh, from Tokyo to San Francisco, and uh, within two months I uh, I started the movie. But at this stage, Netflix was still sending out movies in MLS. DVD. Yes, exactly. So that was a year before Netflix uh, uh, started uh, uh, streaming. This it was that year when the smart TVs were announced at CES. Right. This is before iPhone, before iPad. Uh, so it was really early days. Yeah. Uh, but the vision, I mean, you could close your eyes and see where the world is going, especially sitting in uh, in a cafe in Tokyo. In some ways, was it a challenge for you being so ahead of the market because? Uh, I mean, even the studios weren't even prepared to have these sort of uh, conversations. It was very difficult conversations with uh, with uh, rights owners at the time because the market wasn't there, right? Yeah. So their expectations... Uh, the consumer behavior was there in some ways, illegally. Um, il it was the beginnings of the shift. Right. Uh, but the shift really started to happen over the past two or three years, and we can, we can talk about that as well. But yes, it was very early days, and it was very challenging. And actually, a lot of people... Uh, who started subsequently went out of money and went out of business. I mean, mm. juice, link bikes. I mean, they these guys raised tens and tens of millions of dollars, mm. uh, but they were early, uh, uh, and they um, uh, either they couldn't get the content or they spent a lot of money, which didn't make unit economic sense uh, to get the content with the hope of gaining market share, and that just took a very long time to mature. Yeah. Um, so yes, it was it was very challenging. The the key was to just stay in business, right? Because now, um, uh, I mean, we'll come to where we are today, but it was a very difficult first five years for a movie, but the past two or three years just been amazing. Yeah, you just showed me your, um, your growth chart. It looks like a classic exponential singularity type. Yeah, the, the ex exponential R square is 0.82 right now. I mean, it is, it is we, are, we are growing organically, 2% a week globally, yeah. our paid subscriber base. So your revenue is growing 2% a week, week over week, over the past 18 months. Uh, this is very so counterintuitive because I, I think a lot of people would think in this sort of post-Spotify, post-Netflix world, it's a winner-takes-all game, that there's no room for niche players. Uh, but you, you've managed to reinvent your proposition. Can you, can you talk through that? Yeah, one? sure. So, um, uh, I think the market is really big and it's going to, uh, it's going to support many uh, services that appeal to a certain audience. Mm. Uh, some are going to be more niche than others, uh, but home entertainment and right. watching movies, that's a big market. Yes. Right. Maybe you started originally just in independent movies, right? Exactly. So we, um, I mean, that's our, that's our DNA. I love foreign art house classic independent movies with films. subtitles. Yeah. <laughs> Not necessarily. The English-speaking uh, countries are producing some wonderful stuff. Uh, but um, we started with, just like Netflix and anybody else, uh, but focusing on 
independent film. Right. So you could get a few hundred foreign art house films, uh, price point $9.99. Dollars. Um, uh, we could only get about three, four hundred titles uh, in each territory. Uh, and because it was very difficult for us to sign big deals, they were really good quality films, but smaller films that you may not have heard of. Um, by the way, just side note, in, uh, in film, I don't believe in long tail. Okay? Film is very different than music. Film is a big investment of your time. So you actually don't watch a film very easily. It's two right. hours. You take your time. You really are either heavily marketed. So you see whiplash everywhere or interstellar everywhere and you go watch it. Or someone who knows you well says, Mike, you've got to watch this film. It's amazing. Right. You don't go to a platform with thousands of films and trying to you know, find something that you want to watch uh, easily. So you, we, you really need to focus on either the very well-known films or really good quality films. Otherwise, you're not going to fulfill the promise. So, so that's a. Is, is it like an 80 20 thing or is it more like 99 1? It's, it's more like 95 5. Right. Yeah. Wow. The, so, so that's yeah, really quite strange. Fi, 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 and, and, and I know this based on data 5% of uh, uh, our, uh, our titles often get 95, bring 95% of the viewing and, uh, and revenue. Um, so, so that's why in film, you really need to focus on quality. We always focused on quality. Um, uh, or you need to give people everything, okay? Mm -hmm. Which is what Netflix is and Amazon and iTunes is doing. Um, so we focused on quality, and um, uh, uh, but it was independent film, just independent film, just art house, just foreign. It was too niche of a product and, and an offering to really scale. Mm -hmm. okay? So we took a step back. This was about three years ago, right? This is five years into what we are doing. Uh, it was an amazing project. It had very loyal, uh, very engaged uh, uh, um, community around it. Um, but it would never scale to be become a sustainable uh, business. Mm -hmm. right? So we um, went back to the drawing board and we said, okay, we need bigger films. Quality, but bigger. So. The studios also produce amazing quality stuff. I just named Whiplash. Whiplash is a film that belongs to movie, and so is Interstellar, right. right? But Transformers 4 is not a film I would ever show because that was a bad film, right? So we take, we take sides. But the studios produce wonderful films, both contemporary and classic. Right. I want to show the Kubricks. I want to show the Hitchcocks. Those are all studio films. Um, so we said, okay, Let's get those studio titles, but studio titles meant very significant minimum guarantees and uh, license fees. We couldn't possibly do it everywhere, so we chose one country, uh, Turkey. 40 million people, less than 28 years old, growing really nicely. Um, uh, very media savvy, social media savvy uh, uh, audience, booming e-commerce markets. I mean, all the ingredients were there, very little competition. Um, and we started negotiating with the studios and we realized, my God, even in Turkey, in order to create the Netflix US equivalent library of those 10,000 titles, you need to spend 15 to $20 million in license fees and minimum guarantees. Hmm. Not the $3.5 billion Netflix spent over the past year on content. They spent $3.5 They spent $3.5 billion on content, Netflix, over the past year. How much did they take in, in subscriber fees? Which is About $4 billion, right? So even... That's a so, lot of risk to make. So, so they are. So you know, their cash flow is uh, is actually very small, 
so that also tells you that even Netflix, when people ask why the Netflix's library outside of US is so limited, uh, and you know it doesn't have all the films, it doesn't have great films, mm. it is because even Netflix doesn't have the capital to uh, have an offering of all films. Mm. You know, it's just a very, very expensive value proposition. And we, we realized that very quickly in Turkey three years ago. And then um, uh, we said, look, you do the math. You need to charge six to eight dollars per month. You need three, four hundred thousand subscribers to break even. I don't think you're going to get there anytime soon in Turkey. Mm. You're also not going to get there without spending another 10, 15 million in acquiring them. So I say, even if I'm able to raise 50 million dollars for a Turkey Netflix opportunity, that's a very poor use of capital. That's also why you haven't seen Netflix and Amazon and Google and all these guys there yet, right? But at the same time, all these smart devices are selling like crazy. Smart TVs, tablets, smartphones, double-digit quarterly growth. And to people right? who economically who you wouldn't think be buying them. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, uh, but it's but they, you know but that's their entertainment and entertainment is where you spend your money on after food. Mm. Uh, it, it's. It's incredible. So we thought how we can enter a country like Turkey and Mexico and Indonesia and Poland and Russia and Brazil and so on and so forth uh, and make and offer a value proposition in all these devices. There is no premium content in these devices uh, and make the unit economics work. And it came to us. Um, uh, it hit us one day. Why instead of 10,000 titles, a limited curated offering? of only the best films. So our model became just one film a day that stays for 30 days. So there is always 30 films you can watch. Mm. And we create an amazing selection of 30 films. Uh, it's like the staff's pick at your favorite video store, right? Uh, at a much lower price point in, in, uh, uh, in a place like uh, Turkey, you know, $2 uh, a month, uh, which is less than what pirate DVD costs on the streets <laughs> in Beşiktaş in Istanbul, right? <laughs> So you go into a market at that price point and you bring one great film after another and suddenly look at my unit economics. Instead of 10,000 titles, I need 365 movies a year and I'm negotiating 30-day windows. Thir and it's not just economics because I think for especially these people in these new markets, they also need some help to work out what is a great movie because they often see these things without yeah, context. So I was going to say the starting point of this model shift was the economics of making it work. Mm. But then we... We also saw that people were really hungry to have an expert choose it for them, right? Because this is what we do. We're really passionate about film. I mean, the kind of people that we have in our offices in Istanbul, in Mexico City, in New York, in Munich, in London, these are people who really understand film and the audience. Um, how, and do you, how do you decide? Is it, is it just talented people who decide for everyone? Or? Look, it's... Look, do, you, do you use data? We use a lot of data. Right. We use a lot of data because we have more than 7 million people on the platform globally right now that right. are giving us statistically significant feedback on what they want to watch based on what they rate, mm. what they added to their watch list, they become a fan of, they watch, they share. Um, but, so, but, but I guess like what you said before, this is a 95.5 Yes, so then, so then, we, so then we, look at, we look at all the data. For example, when a studio gives me their availability list of 4,000 titles and I need to choose 50 this, to show this year, I first 
run it through our algorithms to determine the 300 out of those 4,000 that people in Mexico would like to watch. And that's completely different from the, the, the list in Japan. Oh, so you have different lists in different countries. Yes, of course, because over time, you, you, you see these, for example, in Middle East, in Turkey, people like Middle Eastern dramas. Scandinavians like Japanese anime, Germans like German films. Yeah. You know, so so and, you and really the Middle East is like the Turkish drama because they think they're, they're yeah, racing. Absolutely, <laughs> but then the real magic happens when you then get the programming and editorial team to go over those three hundred titles and determine the fifty mm. that they want to program, and they contextualize and and um, uh, and, and and so on and so forth. So right now in US, for example, Cannes Film Festival is starting next week. We are doing a retrospective, it just kicked off last week, of films from Cannes. Three weeks, we are showing amazing films that were in competition in Cannes. Um, that, right at the time, when everybody's really curious about the films that are coming out of Cannes, talking about what's happening in Cannes, and we are showing them Cannes films. Um, uh, and, you know, there are, when um, uh, Birdman uh, did theatrical here in London uh, a couple of months ago, that day, we were showing Amores Perros as the film of the day that Friday oh. because everybody's talking about Inariatu yeah. and we think Amores Perros is his masterpiece. So that's what we are showing. So it's about contextualizing. It's about having the right editorial, having a reason for you to be curious. And it's more watch. like wine in a way. <laughs> there are a lot of similarities. Yeah. I, I mean, you're giving people yeah. the information, almost like a, um, the tasting guide to, to understand how to be more informed about their yeah. choice. Yeah. So look, there is paradox of choice, right? Yeah. There is... There's so much information. I mean, look at, think about your Netflix experience. You go and you spend 45 minutes trying to figure out what you want to watch. My wife hates the yeah. Netflix experience because as soon as I put on Netflix, she knows I'm going to spend like half an hour sampling things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to end up watching nothing. Yeah. So what we want to do, <laughs> and what we want to do is to give you a selection of films, and you may have you may have never heard of the film of the day, but you press play, and you're delighted. I mean, if we can fulfill that promise. If, you, if you're really delighted, then you come back and you watch another film and you're like, oh, wow, I mean, there's something special. Or then we throw you also films that you watched before, maybe, that you want to read. But the point is, but every said, film chosen, there is something special about it. Is, and it's it, a is great it important film. that it's chosen for an individual? I mean, do you think eventually you'll show 30 films for just one person? Eventually. Right. Eventually. I think that's the holy grail, right? Right. Um, we first... Uh, uh, you know, the, the model is going to evolve, but in order to really personalize to you the film of the day, you know, whereas, you know, I show, you know, I, I send your wife a, a film of the day different than you. Um, we need to, of course, comes back to the problem of, I need to have a massive selection of films that I can draw into, right? But with data, we can be really intelligent about that too over time. Because when I go to Warner Brothers and I ask for Inception, Instead of my millions of subscribers, if I can say, I want Inception for 132,000 people that I want to show this film, because I know the 132,000 people who really want to watch this film, then it's a very interesting conversation as well. But these are very early, you know, everything that I'm saying is so innovative. Mm -hmm. When you sit down and discuss with rights owners and studios and, and production companies, it's such a conservative industry and things are being done the same way for a long time um, and we are completely innovating uh, on digital 
right? Yeah. The, you know, very different value propositions, very different models. So you will see more and more of this really interesting stuff coming up. Netflix was the first wave. Um, uh, and but they are they're, they're like Costco. <laughs> yeah. And and you know, <coughs> you, you, you're always my Yes. <laughs> it, that's a very good comparison, you know, analogy and I actually use that a lot and I I use uh, um uh, yeah, Bird of Goodman is amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's all about the selection there. And yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, um, uh, I think you're going to see this wave, Netflix doing this, and they're trying to do it at a massive scale. They're realizing their own limitations. They yes. can't show everything. So they uh, brilliantly invested in TV content to have something exclusive that they can control the windows. That really worked for them. So they are skewing heavily towards TV. Yeah. And they are leaving a, a very big vacuum, very big uh, opportunity in the movies because there is no service that satisfies the movie uh, uh, offering uh, and movie service. Uh, how, how do you really think that the whole kind of streaming business is going to play out? Not just in movies, but in music. I mean, in some ways, it looks like a winner-takes-all game. And, and these guys are, uh, have got the scale to negotiate massive output deals. But what you're suggesting is a world where... Uh, things become more differentiated by data and you have niche players who stand for, and brands that stand for specific forms of entertainment curation the market is so big that again it will support uh, multiple players addressing various different uh, um, audiences where's right? the leverage point though i mean is it is it your presence on a smart tv or where, where, where where's the point where you're really acquiring customers um, loyalty? look the the technology is not the key differentiator because you know we, we are going to be on all of us will be on all devices i meant from a right? brand perspective um, where is the key point where the where the you build the brand relationship mobile right yes yeah, so web uh, still amazingly uh is where we get the most sort of registrations and uh, conversions to uh, to trialists um but we see that people who then connect uh, their device, whether it's you know iOS or uh, or Android, um, tend to stay two times longer, right? And they watch on average 50% more movies uh, because it's just much more convenient for. I mean, they, they watch it on their on their laptop and, and then they you know watch it on their uh, iPad on a flight and they come and they have Apple TV so they put it up on air you know oh, so you through can, AirPlay. You, you can store locally. Yes, yeah, so Mubi is the only SWOT service where you can actually have take it offline with you. Oh, so that, that's similar a, that's to Spotify. Big... There is no VOD service that allows you no, to do I that. No, I have no idea. So you can just download it and take it with you on a flight. You can't do that on Netflix. It's closer, so it's to, very, it's very closer to an iOS rental model, right? Yeah. Yes, but because of our model, because I expire the film after 30 days, right? Yeah. So I can get away with it. Right. And we convince the rights owners over time that this feels more like... Uh, 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 a rental, a temporary rental instead of an electronic sell-through. Ah. Because if the film was there all the time, it feels like you bought the film and you have to film and that's a completely different right. But it takes, again, it took many, many months it's and like years. It's like a hybrid right. So yeah. this is... This, but but, but again, I, that's I, what I mean I by... I can see why you're deliberately you know, playing that down. <laughs> that's, but, that's, but that's what I mean by we are going to innovate. The, yeah. the, the thing is, it all, it's all about the consumer experience. The consumers wants to take this thing offline. So we should be able to, you know, convince the rights owners and build services that allows you to take it offline. 
because you may, you know, we are lucky if we are living in uh, central London. You know, what if I was living in a, in, in a suburban area where the broadband is not very good? I should be able to just download an HD version. Yes. And yes, it takes three hours uh, instead of streaming in HD. Um, and I, uh, you know, I use uh, either Chromecast or, uh, or, you know, AirPlay to stream it on my big screen. I will only be able to do that if I can download it offline yeah. and, and use it offline. So we should be, it's all about the consumer experience. So that's, that's what I also fight for, mm-hmm. the consumer. Uh, every time that I try to convince uh, a rights owner who doesn't want to give me the download rights of a film, right? <laughs> I mean, it happens, but it's when you take care of the consumer, everything else, uh, everything else follows. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about these new consumers, uh, because I think one of the fascinating things about uh, what you're doing now with movie, and I guess what you've always believed is these, the power of these new markets. Uh, you mentioned uh, Turkey and uh, Indonesia, yeah. but these fast-growth, youth-oriented markets, what, what characteristics have you observed that make them very different to the more developed markets? Hmm. Um, so I'll, um, I'll share with you um, one data point. What do you think is the percentage of people who have access to internet in US who have a Facebook account? The number of people that are already online. That are already online, have access to internet. What percentage of them has a Facebook account? 80%? It's more like 65%. Right. In U- it's not, not in, as many as a, In uh, US. Right. Yes. In UK, it's about 50, 58, something like that. Uh, in Turkey, it's 92%. Okay? <laughs> there is only one country in the world that has a higher penetration, and that's Mexico. Almost 100%. In Mexico, if you have a connection to internet, you're on Facebook. Right. right? Facebook so, is the internet, basically, <laughs> in Mexico. Right? And so it immediately tells you something very powerful about these markets, that they are very media savvy. They are very social media savvy. They are um, always online. And that, this, is their, this is sort of their entertainment, uh, online, right? Um, and um, so we find this to be very powerful. When Twitter launches outside of US, and UK, you see like Brazil and Turkey, you know, in terms of the number of tweets per second and number of uh, registered users, in, even in the first days, mm. even when it's not even in the local language, it's in, it's, it's in English in Turkey. So, so, so we, see, we see that the audience is very receptive to services that are delivered online in these countries. Okay. Um, and um, uh, we see increasingly people there is, there is an in- increasing propensity to pay online in these countries that makes them immediately uh, a very, very big market, right? Um, when I say 40 million people less than 28 years old, that's like, you know, a bigger population than most countries in Europe, right? I mean, so it's, it's, it's a very, very significant big market as well. Um, and you have very little competition, very little um, uh, uh, access to these kind of uh, services. So if you can figure out the right value proposition, the right content, the right price point, and, uh, and localize the content, and localize the offering, editorial, customer service, everything, and, 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 and launching countries like that, you can expect to gain significant momentum. Mexico, over the past six months, is our fastest growing country. Hmm. UK is our biggest uh, 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 country right now, but Mexico is the fastest growing. And then I'll, I'll give you one more interesting data. We launched, play, we launched PlayStation 4. 
Um, we have a joint venture with Sony Computer Entertainment. We got together and co-developed an application to watch movies on PlayStations, and we launched in some 56 countries in December on all PlayStation 3 and 4. The countries that had the highest growth rate in pickup were countries like Russia and Saudi Arabia. It wasn't Spain or Italy, right? And it's just, it's really, really powerful. Is it from a lack of alternatives to that? You know, that explains a lot that of That explains it. Saudi, that, but, but Russia is... is yeah, but again, Russia explains, Russia, different dynamics, different countries. Yeah. Saudi Arabia, yes. Russia, because again, very large, young population who are very media savvy. Okay. Um, and in a country like UK, we are also growing, of course, and growing really fast, and also in Germany and France. But the characteristics of these markets are different. These markets, um, they are because it's because the, the, the amount of people uh, who are willing to pay for a service is a lot bigger in these uh, in these countries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in a country like Turkey, you really need to educate that you don't need to pirate. Pirating, especially on a device, is very, very difficult. On the web, it's very easy. Tell me any film that did theatrical over the past year, give me three minutes, I'll find you five places that I can download an HD version of that film, right now. But it's a lot more painful if I want to watch that film on an iPad, because I need to make sure that the the content downloaded is is encoded with H.264, and then I need to... uh, uh, if it's not re-encoded, then sync it with my iTunes, and that, you know it's it's just a lot of uh, steps. Instead of that, people are willing to part for two, three dollars and have access to an amazing library of content in HD on any device, right? So there is a better than piracy trend right now. We are making for the first time the consumer experience good enough to offer a better than piracy experience at a price point that makes sense, and. The studios are coming on board, so the content is for the first time available. Mm-hmm. I couldn't possibly show a Kubrick <clears throat> in UK online before, and now I will be able to. You know that changes uh, that changes the whole game. Last question, yeah. Epe. I mean, in many ways, this has been a eight-year incubation period. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what's kept you going all this time? I mean, what's, what's been the source of your passion oh, for man, this? Um, I always had a long-term vision. Hmm. Okay. I always knew, assumed that this was going to take a lot longer to execute. And when you say, you know, you've been doing it for eight years, amazing, and I'm sitting here thinking, the next 10 years will be amazing, right? I don't see you going back <laughs> the, to SAP. The, the, the next 10 years will be amazing, because we have a mission. Um, uh, and it's a big vision as well, because what we want in 10 years, when you want to watch a movie, Anywhere from Buenos Aires to Tokyo to New York, we want you to think of what's on movie tonight, right? And that's an audience, an amazing audience of hundreds of millions of people who want to watch a film. Uh, and if you look at how the consumer experience is shifting and how the young population especially is uh, interacting with content, I have a nine-year-old sister in Turkey, okay? I can tell you for fact that this girl will never buy a single DVD in her life. Fact, okay? She will also probably not get a cable subscription. She's going to access all her entertainment on one of her devices. 
and she's going to choose what she wants. So we are moving very fast into a world where I'm really, really excited about. So this is just the existing. And then there is another billion people. There is another two billion people over the next eight years coming on mobile. So you know the opportunity is so amazing that I'm dizzy. Right, so the next <laughs> 10 years will be, uh, will be quite amazing for a movie. Evie, my friend, it's been wonderful seeing you. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash between worlds.